I got a question for you guys here. Who has two thumbs and hates this episode? Seriously. I'd actually forgotten how much I don't like this episode. Like the one when I go and rewatch through Voyager, which I've done a few times, I do it for several shows actually. Um eh. I, I I would always skip the obvious episode like, you know, Threshold and Q and the Grey and Alliances. And those three just come to mind immediately. I don't even have to think about that. But I never really remembered how disease is just an <laughs> episode. So let's, let's talk about that for a moment. I want to say one thing really quick. So some people have been like, dude, you constantly complain about not having time in your life. And you know, that's true because I work constantly and... And trying to keep up with everything else in the background at the same time. Um, and so you're like, how could you possibly in your past have watched these television shows multiple times the whole series? Well, actually, I have a simple answer for you on that. Um, I used to work in IT. There's a lot of times in IT where you're just staring at a computer screen, you know, plugging away or trying to diagnose something or trying to troubleshoot something or whatever. And I'm one of those people who I work better when I have multiple tracks going in my mind at the same time. So I would usually have like Voyager or DS9 or whatever up on the side, like on a second monitor or on a laptop or whatever while I was working. And when you have that kind of a situation, trust me when I say that having seven seasons of a show is not enough because you will burn through those seven seasons in a couple of weeks because you're just next episode, next episode, next episode as you're working away. So I just felt like defending myself on that one for a little bit. Nowadays, uh, if I'm sitting down to watch an episode, I've, you know, I've got my notebook and I've got my notes and I'm just focusing on it so I can't really just watch like all of uh, what was it was requested recently. Um... I know Clone Wars requested. There was someone who requested like an entire TV show. I can't remember what it is recently for the Patreon thing. And I was, I, no, <laughs> I can't do that. Anyways, so I hate this episode. God, I just, uh, okay. Um, let's make one thing very clear. Uh, the, the, <laughs> So, Star Trek has done romantic episodes uh, before. They've even done Flings of the Week before. I will credit Kenneth Biller with trying to do something new with this week, uh, rather than trying to use the Romance of the Week as a way to add interest, which is always a failure, of course. Um, trying to use the Romance of the Week to inform the characters, to help flesh out the characters. Uh, Counterpoint was a good example of one of those. Uh, rather than using the Romance of the Week to try and introduce uh, some kind of new element to things, uh, Vosh is probably a good example of this as well, over in TNG. He wanted to go ahead and uh, just really look into multi, uh, you know, cross-species relations and examine what would happen if there was an alien element involved. Damn it, I need to sneeze. I'm going to share a quick anecdote while I deal with this. So I use toilet paper for uh, Kleenex, right? Because it's cheaper. And especially when I'm sick and blowing my nose constantly, uh, I'm going to be going through, you know, toilet, you know, sneezing paper very quickly, whether it's Kleenex or toilet paper. So I was working at my old job once. This was years ago, like five years ago now. And uh, when I was sick, I would keep a roll of toilet paper in the office. And so... I come into work one day, uh, and uh, 
I shouldn't say his name, but a gentleman was there. And he looks at me really weird and he's like, dude, why do you have toilet paper in the knock? And everyone else who was there in the room turns and looks at him and says, it's so he can blow his nose. And he's like, oh, that makes so much more sense. And to this day, that still cracks me up that he couldn't figure out why I would keep toilet paper. I was like, what, what did he think I was doing in the office there? I don't want to know. Okay, so back to the episode. Oh. So interspecies relations, but also this is really important. According to this episode, by this episode's rules, by the intent of the creator, Kenneth Biller, the person who actually wrote this episode, this is the disease. There is no real romantic attachment between Harry Kim and Tall, I think was her name. None. They are not actually in love. They are not actually connected. There's, no, there's nothing real there. What happened was his physiology merged with hers in a way that wasn't anticipated, and as a resultant, they formed a chemical bond, which, again, as is emphasized many, many times, is a disease, just like in the title of the episode. This is an uh, unnatural thing. I mention that because, on the one hand, that was the point, to examine what happens when we are in, in that kind of a situation where it's not real, where we don't actually have real feelings or connections or attachments. On the other hand, I can't help but note that it kind of saps a lot of the scenes. Like, it's one of those things that Star Trek has done every now and again, and I've done this too, you know, we've all done this. Uh, it's like when you put forth an idea, it's like, this is an interesting idea, and it may be, but then you don't do anything with it. It's just there. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And you need to you need to stretch with it. You need to look into it. You need to try something with it. But instead, all we have is, so what would happen if a human interacted with an alien and the two basically had a disease that made them think they were de desperately in love with each other? And that's it. There's no examination of Harry Kim as a character. Uh, we do see how Janeway is an evil tyrant. Um, I'll talk more about that later. I may shout in this episode. I'm going to try really hard not to, but this is your warning. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Doesn't really mean anything. So let's just go down my list here. Uh, Kenneth Biller wrote this episode, uh, or I should say he wrote about half of this episode. The original script he wrote was entirely about the A-plot, uh, the... Harry Kim and tall romance disease thing that I just mentioned that he does nothing with. Now, he feels that that was the good episode, that the episode that actually went on screen was ruined by the introduction of the B-plot, a.k.a. the ship is in danger, because that's, I mean, I've talked about this a trillion times. You guys know what I mean by this by now. So he uh, really felt that that removed the enjoyment of the episode. I went out of my way this reviewing to try and, like, like, Se segregate my mind so that the part of me that was analyzing the whole episode was different from the part of me that was analyzing just the romance scenes to see if that would make the episode better. Interestingly enough, the answer was no. But I've already kind of given the reason why. I will admit one thing. I would not call this a bad episode if not for something I'll talk about later. I would call this an episode I don't like. Because I'm not big on romance in my Star Trek. Or my fiction, in general, for that matter. Um, I'm okay with romance if it's done well. O'Brien and Keiko is a great example of a romance that's done perfectly, in my opinion. Uh, Locke and Celis over in FF6, that was very well done. Um, excuse me. 
nose is still giving me issues. Uh, Morrigan and uh, the Warden in Dragon Age Origins. That's a good example. There's not many. I'm, I'm really scraping my brain. I think that romance is best done when it's actually done well. I don't think the romance was well done in this episode. That's kind of my point. And I want to make it clear that I have none of the none of my complaints are at Garrett Wong's feet for that. He actually did a really good job this episode of portray- he was basically acting as if he was in uh, what my sister refers to as puppy love, aka you have just gotten together with someone. There's a real emotional connection in addition to a physical connection. You really feel happy with this person. So for those first few months or however long it lasts, things are awesome. And so Garrett Wong does a great job of portraying that. I definite props to him. Not no complaints about his performance whatsoever. Um, I also, uh, while I'm praising, I want to give huge props to the intro of this episode. Uh, if you haven't seen this episode, it starts off with a shot of the ship, and then you slowly turn around, and then you, it, it tilts, and then you go into a, uh, a window, and then. The actual scene proper starts. It's really impressive, especially for the times. Uh, this is, again, Foundation Imaging, uh, who I've talked about several times before, who did this. They did a really, really good job with this. I was definitely impressed with that. I know that I don't have much more to add. I mean, there's like, you can see little uh, scrapes and scratches along the glass, and you can see the reflection on the hull. You know, a lot of little details. I, I hate to just keep to, to mention that, but it's probably some of the most impressive work I've seen them do up until this point in time, including Babylon 5 and Voyager. So huge props there. I want to say one other thing, too. Uh, I often call Sci-Fi Debris the better version of my show, uh, especially since he and I are effectively in direct competition uh, for this particular market, uh, although he, is, he, he, he does things in a completely different format, so I guess that's not quite true. Um, but... Uh, I will say this, this is probably the first time that he and I have looked at the same episode, and I find myself basically agreeing with him. So if you've seen his episode, you're about to hear some repetition, sorry, but this is how I genuinely feel. I am not aping him, I simply agree with him. Make sense? Now, I have a weird uh, question in my notes here. Why was Voyager so insistent on helping these people? This is a ship that has gleefully ignored dozens of people, peoples. I don't mean like individuals. I mean dozens of different groups or species of peoples uh, because it suited their ends or because prime directive or whatever other reason. And yet they bend over backwards to reach out to these xenophobes just to try and help them. And how many times they even reference, uh, you know, how you ignored our hails and that kind of a thing. Why did they keep trying to reach out to them? Now, by the time they learn something about them, we know exactly why that is. Because they want some of their technology for the deep space travel and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And there's probably some kind of, once they learn about their culture, they probably understand that, yeah, this there's probably some similarities between Voyager on their deep space journey and these people on their deep space journey. But um, why did they start? What led them to initially insist on helping these people who were refusing to even answer hails? That's just kind of stuck in the back of my mind. It's explainable, but the episode never bothers to explain it. And that always struck me as odd, especially since this is the same episode in which Janeway is evil. Now, 
I mentioned that I agree with sci-fi debris just this once. Let me make something clear. I don't agree with the Janeway as a evil psychopath thing. I mean, I know it's a joke, but I, I've never gotten that vibe. Uh, inconsistency, absolutely, and I've explained why there's inconsistency in Janeway's uh, portrayal. But I've never gotten the she's this cacklingly evil person thing, except in this episode. <laughs> and I mentioned that. Because in this episode, in which Janeway is cacklingly evil, why does she go out of her way, repeatedly, despite being refused, to reach out to help out people who don't want her help? Anyways. So... One thing that I get, and I, I'm just saying this to be in the defense of the episode, Janeway specifically forbids romantic connections on this mission with these people because she's towing the line around their culture, basically, and their leadership. Who are very, again, they're literally described as xenophobic. Uh, probably not to an extreme, but still there. Definitely uh, leave us alone kind of a people. And I get that. And I get that Janeway would do that to try and stay in their good graces for whatever freaking reason. Um, that being said, a lot is said of interspecies contact that has nothing to do with these specific people in this episode. Talking about the, the, the giant handbook that you have to go through and there's a semester on, on interspecies relations and medical concerns and you have to cover it with your CO. That, that, that part really made me laugh. You have to actually go to your, your commanding officer and say, by the way, I really like this girl slash guy slash not applicable. I'd really like to go and be intimate with them. The thought of, if, if, if like on the Enterprise, every time someone in, in, in TNG was like, oh, if the, the, the thought that they had to go to Picard every time and be like, so I need to inform you that, 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 just, that just amuses me so much on the sheer ludicrousness of it. Now, again, I'm being a little bit of exaggerative to, to, to make a point. It is entirely possible that CO in this place does not actually mean the captain. They might mean that in Voyager because Voyager's a ship without infrastructure, with no backing of Starfleet or whatever. So all things go to Janeway. And as we've actually seen in the series, Janeway is a notorious micromanager. So she may insist on that. You may just have to go to your immediate superior officer. Um, I'm not actually sure who that would be in the case of someone like uh, Harry. Probably Chakotay, actually. But anyways, point being, even then, Chakotay, uh, there's a woman I really like. Yeah, sure, whatever. Chakotay, there's a guy I really like. Yeah, sure, whatever. Chakotay, there's a... I, I feel like he should just put up like like a... a, a, um, a white... Mar a right... Uh, dry eraser board so that you can just be like okay name there's like columns name species of of your species species of target species and time you were here and the, he just leaves that up at his front door <laughs> for anybody to come by now i know what you're thinking arsh there's no way that that's that common have you watched star trek ever since the original series one of the things about star trek is and I have no better way to put this, free love. The idea of, well, we've kind of conquered most of the uh, medical reasons not to engage in sexual intercourse, so we just do it whenever. And it's this big, it's, it's, it's part of the society of Starfleet, specifically of Earth, of humans, that you don't need to be married. You know, there's, not, there's no requirement there. There's no slut shaming or anything like that. So, you know, if you sleep around, it's not a bad thing. 
um, culturally speaking. I mean, you know, so it, you can have your own opinions or whatever. But for the most part, the people, the, the society does not look down on that. And again, the medical side of things is completely conquered. So there's no real detriment to doing that either. And we've also seen that that's a common thing even on this specific uh, ship. In fact, um, quite a few members of this crew have fraternized with aliens in the past, uh, including Harry, I feel like pointing out. Probably my, the one I really want to point out, though, is, um, well, there's two episodes I really want to bring to light here. Now, one of these, you could argue, if you were in an arguing mood, doesn't apply, and that is the episode Justice. Do you remember why they went down to that planet in Justice? I think you can guess, based on the topic and tone of what I'm mentioning, why they went to justice. Go rewatch the episode sometime. They talk about it right at the beginning. Yep. No legal problems whatsoever. Let's just go down and have some fun. Next question. Next episode I want to bring up. This one's much more relevant. Prime Factors. This is a Voyager episode. Granted, Season 1 Voyager... But this is an ep that is an episode in which Harry Kim got romantic, well, was going to get, uh, I shouldn't say romantically, sexually entangled with an alien woman. It was only when he discovered the teleporter technology that he, he cock-blocked that situation, basically. But I also feel like pointing out that Janeway was getting intimate with an alien in that episode. You remember that? Did Harry have to go and fill out a form for the fact that he had found an attractive woman? Did he have to pause and say, hang on, hang on. This is great and I really like the idea, but I need to call my, I need to call Chakotay real quick. Chakotay. And then Chakotay is just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Because <laughs> he's already answered that call five times today. The whole thought amuses me in the sheer absurdity of it. But it's still stupid. It's still really, really stupid. Now that being said, this episode does do one good thing. This is, to my knowledge, the first Star Trek episode, this first Star Trek anything, really, to actually bring up the hazards, shall we say, of interspecies sexual contact. And I mention that because it's taken from a medical perspective, not a cultural one. We've seen cultural, and it's basically always been the Klingons. How Klingons mate versus how everyone else mates has been a thing that's been brought up. Uh, the Ferengi have been brought up as well uh, over on Deep Space Nine. But again, that's cultural primarily. It's never really been brought up the medical side of things. There are people of the same species here on this planet right now where if they were to engage in intercourse, there would be medical complications for them doing so. Imagine different species. Imagine different blood types. There are so many different variables there. And, I, and on the one hand, it's probably the only interesting thing this episode did for me was bring up that topic. And then the episode immediately killed that goodwill because here's what happens. Harry says, I want some time alone to discuss this. The doctor says, okay, and shoes seven out. And then Harry admits what happens, and the doctor is upset, not because he broke regulations, not because of, you know, oh my god, how could you? No, Again, no slut-shaming, anything like that. He, he freaks out because of the medical concerns. This is a species we've never encountered before. What kind of pathogens, or what... It's not even just pathogens, it's not even just viruses. Your physiology may interact in a way unpredicted with their physiology. I liked that. I, I, I liked that that was a thing. I would have liked it, I mean, rather than going to the, the regulations thing and going to Chakotay, why not have things be a little bit different? Why not go to your doctor instead of your CO? 
and say, Doctor, I'm romantically attracted to insert species here. Are there going to be complications? That makes perfect sense to me. Because you should do something like that. You should be like, okay, look, I would like to be intimate with this person. Can I? For God's sakes, Mass Effect got this right. You remember that? Mass Effect 2, if, um, if you are a femship and you romance Thane, uh, Mordant will actually give you advice on the medical complications of the interspecies relationships between those two species. It's, it's a thing they actually bring up in freaking Mass Effect. Um, of course, we all know Mass Effect is just a sex simulator, so that just makes sense. Um, but seriously, though, that's perfect. I'm with that. I get that. On one condition, and that condition is something called doctor-patient confidentiality, which the doctor immediately breaks in this episode. And God, that pissed me off. That is, for those of you not aware, doctor-patient confidentiality is a big damn deal. Here in real life, but especially in Star Trek. It's actually been brought up many, many times in Star Trek. There have been times where there has been such an ironclad connection between doctor and patient in Star Trek that it's caused a dilemma. Yeah, yes, I know Star Trek has also violated it now and again, although off the top of my head, the only violation I could really think of was actually over an Enterprise, and that's Phlox, and he can go screw himself. So... Point being, the fact that Harry Kim, who has had an intimate interaction with another species, and now has a medical condition as a result of that, and is seeking help, and has admitted that to the doctor, is not the kind of thing that the doctor said, well, I'm going to have to go talk to your boss. Could you imagine if that was that way in real life? Just for a moment. That's deplorable. But it's nowhere near as bad as this episode gets. Because the next thing that happens, oh my god, the next thing that freaking happens... I have a note here which I will not say out loud because I try very hard not to cuss on my show and indeed in general. It's not something I like doing. Um, I believe that simply saying that sentence gets across uh, what, the, what the note is here. There have been people who have been rude to Janeway. There have been people who have been violent towards Janeway. People who have tried to destroy her ship. There have been people who have flat out disobeyed her. There have been people who have pushed for a mutiny against her. And I could keep going down the list. And yet, by memory, there are like two instances where she is more or as severe as she is with Harry. Her tone, her body, her posture, her body language, everything about the way she presents herself is as if Harry Kim had actually wandered off and shot an enemy official. One of the instances I mentioned earlier is when she when she is interacting with Tom Paris in 30 days. She is just as severe with Harry, who was intimate with a young woman, as she was with Tom, who was trying to sabotage an alien reactor and nearly caused her to have to kill him. Really? And then... I'm trying really hard not to yell. I'm, I'm going for the opposite of yelling. I'm just getting quieter because the next thing she does is she gives him a formal reprimand. Now, I'm going to be harping on this point a little bit. A formal reprimand for, for following Kirk's example. <laughs> really? 
Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. I brought up prime factors. So she's giving him a formal reprimand for following not only his own example in that episode, but also her example in that episode. Now, I know what you're going to say. It's not just about the fact that he was in... It's about the fact that he disobeyed orders. Valid. I will freely concede that point without hesitation. I will then turn around and ask you, do you think a formal reprimand, a permanent mark on his record, is is a significant uh, punishment for disobeying an order? An order. Not a do this or we all die order. Not a... Um, there's actually a, a military term for that, and I can't think of it. In, an order of significance. I can't remember what that's called. Um, it's just a we're trying to to interact with the species properly, so please, you know, don't don't uh, do this because it might sabotage our relationship with the species. Now that is still a big deal, and I'm not arguing that it isn't. I am arguing that a formal reprimand is way way too severe of a reaction to that. I literally think that it would have been less of an overreaction if she had assigned him to, like, a week in the brig than that. Because that will never leave his career mark. Marks. Mark? Sheet? Sheet. It'll never leave his career sheet. It will be a mark against his career sheet for the rest of his time in Starfleet. A formal freaking reprimand. And the best part is, I don't know how many of you know how that kind of a thing works, but usually... When you have a mark on your record, it's they not look whoever's looking into it, you know, for promotion or applying to to do something or whatever. This is true in real life too, by the way. Um, they don't look about why it's there. They don't care. They don't care what happened. They don't care about the details. They don't care about the severity. They see that there is a mark and it's a binary zero one check. You have a mark, therefore screw you. That's how that works. You have a mark on your record, so screw you forever. For the rest of your life. Doesn't matter why it happened. Doesn't None of the details matter. And so Harry Kim now has a mark on his record. And none of the details matter. Now I know this is Star Trek. And occasionally those details do matter. And occasionally uh, certain individuals. Exceptional individuals. Like Picard to use a direct example. Will look into the why. And say okay well he got a mark on his record. Because dot dot dot. Now I want you to picture your stereotypical stuffy, snooty, Starfleet Admiral, Commodore, Commander, Captain, and think if they will be the kind of person to look into that. And you kind of get my point. I'm sorry for harping on on this, but that's, that's literally the equivalent of, you know, you go into work one day and you decide to... Um, uh, you decide to, uh, I'll use something from my own experience, I'm an IT kind of a thing. Uh, let's say you're working on a server, and while you're doing that, you're browsing some site, and you accidentally get a little bit of malware on your computer. Now, that doesn't affect the server you're working on, because that's not how that works. However, uh, that would uh, be uh, something that would be logged, and it is the kind of thing that you would then have to go through a procedure in order to fix. And if your boss found out about that, then the boss would have to come down on you, because you probably shouldn't have, have let that happen. Happen, right? I mean, this is just logical. You know, again, I'm not arguing that Harry deserved some kind of punishment. But now imagine your boss comes down and says, okay, uh, I'm putting a, a black mark a ledger. Or, that's the wrong term, a black, what do we call it? That, that standard. It was a black something something ledger. I know that was involved there. But the point is, it's the kind of thing that basically says you're never getting promoted and you're never getting a raise for the rest of your stay there. And I only knew of them to actually do that once while I was working there. Uh, they did that at Montgomery Watson, too, so I think it's actually a common corporate term. God, I can't think of any terms today. Anyways, so imagine if in response to that that little thing, 
well, that medium thing. Because that would be a hassle, and then they would have to, they would be required to report to the company that you were working on and tell them that so they can make sure that they're uh, keeping their security uh, compliance, right? So it is a hassle. It is a bit of a problem. You did screw up, okay? Not arguing that. But then in response to that, you're screwed for the rest of your career at this company and possibly not even getting a recommendation to go get a new job. So you're even more screwed. So now you're stuck here, and you're never going anywhere unless you get lucky. That's what Janeway did to Harry. And I really hate to keep harping on this, but at the end of the episode, when we firmly and fully establish that it is a disease, that it is something biologically and chemically affecting Harry to make him act this way, she says she has this big heart-to-heart -heart scene with him about how she cares about him, and she cares about him more, and he's so important to her. And the formal reprimand is staying on your record forever. Really? Really? <sighs> Even Chakotay calls her out on this later. He's, he's like, he, he starts off diplomatically, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done that, basically. He doesn't say that. He says it perfectly. He's like, you know, he calls it into question and says it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit much. And she says, no, it's, 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 it's good. And then he points out that, um, then he points out that he, if he had done something like this, you know, she actually encourages him to question her orders and, and, and be there. And her response to that is, well, Harry hasn't earned the right to question my orders. Now, again, on the one hand, I get that. I get what chain of command means. I get what military discipline means. I get what on fire, you know, all this stuff. I understand that. I really do. If you're in a combat situation, you don't need every ensign, every lieutenant, every uh, you know, serviceman or whatever questioning your orders. It's going to be a bad time. Even if your orders are wrong, encouraging that kind of thing is probably going to lead to a bad situation because that's too many people having buy-in in a tense situation where seconds matter. However, this is not a combat situation. And actively saying that someone who has served on your crew loyally and well for five years without promotion, I feel like pointing out, um, does not have the right to question your orders is just a little bit too pompous for me. Also, while I'm on the subject, why has Harry Kim not gotten a promotion yet? Now, I know that sounds like a weird thing because promotions don't matter, right? Except they obviously do because her whole point is he's an ensign. Her argument is that he, as an ensign, has not earned the right to question her orders. So obviously a promotion would have mattered in this situation. And again, five years service without any marks on his career. That's exemplary service, especially under the, I mean, if I was like an admiral who was, who just, bear with me, like Voyager suddenly, bam, they're back in, in, in Federation space, like as of this episode, it's like, oh, okay, let's go ahead and look at everyone's service records because that's my job, just bear with me. And I'm going down the list and I see Harry Kim, like, why is this man, my first reaction will be, why has this man not been promoted? He has been under duress and stressful circumstances without, without aid, without, you know, any of the backup, just like everyone else has, and has performed exemplary for years without any positive reinforcement on that whatsoever. He has been a dutiful pawn. I really hate to point this out, but Nog... <laughs> Nog outranks Harry by the end of this season, at the very least. I forget exactly when Nog got his, uh, his field commission, but seriously, Nog. 
who joined Starfleet during DS9's run, will outrank Harry by the end of DS9's run. Now, I know the counter-argument you're going to put on there, and, you know, it was war, and it was terrible circumstance because they were losing people, and that is a valid point. Um, Voyager's been losing people, too. And also been on fairly unpleasant circumstances. Not not as bad as the Dominion War, not on the scope or scale, but still bad. And yet still no promotion. This <laughs> Later on, this is cool. This is so great. Later on in the episode, Janeway is like, the only re I have been informed. And this is when the episode firmly reestablishes that it is a disease and that Harry Kim is quite literally not in his right of mind. So that makes sense. Okay, still going with you. And she makes it clear that if not for that, Harry would be in the brig. Really? <laughs> Formal reprimand and the brig. Well, I guess she took my advice to heart, but decided to double up, or double down rather, instead of uh, anything logical. Oh my God. But then, then comes the worst episode of the entire scene. Or... Worst scene in the entire episode. Harry follows her onto the bridge, and the whole thing plays like an angry teenager yelling at their parents. Seriously. I hate that scene. I'm not even going to comment elsewise on it. They could have done something with this. He has a disease. Rather than showing him some kind of compassion or understanding for the fact that this is a person who, by the episode's own admission and by the creator's own admission, is quite literally out of his mind. They treat him like he's some kind of spoiled child. And it's this big, awkward, unpleasant melodrama scene. They could have done something with that. I mentioned earlier they do nothing with it. Imagine if they had shifted tone entirely. Janeway is, uh, upon realizing that it's gone, removed the formal reprimand from his record and is like, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize this is something that's literally affecting you. We've seen in Star Trek how they act around people who are being mind-controlled or who are being influenced or whatever. There's usually some level of, oh, I don't know, compassion there. Imagine if they literally had to, uh, instead of this stupid melodrama scene, they had to like literally force him to the... Med, uh, to the uh, sickbay in order to treat him, in order to try and take care of their friend who they care about, who is out of his mind. Uh, you could even, if you really want an action piece for this section of the episode, you could even have a thing where Harry is literally trying to run through the ship, trying to escape the rest of the crew. And since Harry is, by the series' own admission, brilliant, he could actually lead them on a pretty good chase, maybe even fleeing to the other ship, something, because he is so. They could have done something with that. <sighs> Two more notes, then I'm done. First of all, the uh, I I I know that you guys uh, tend to look at me and you expect me to talk about things uh, culturally and setting wise and you know building up the background lore thing. It's the lore runner, right? Um, I wish I had something to say about the culture of these people. I don't even remember their names. The people on the on the, the modular ship. I don't. Like, I, I, I look at it and all I can see is, okay. So there's these people whose entire culture in, for at least four generations has been on a ship. Generational ship. Okay, that's I'm with that. Uh, some people want to leave the ship. Okay. 
Like, so far what you're telling me is that occasionally water is wet. There's nothing to talk about there, is my point. This is all completely inevitable and completely expected. They don't even take it into totalitarianism. Like, they could have had this species be uh, a... Well, not, not to the 1984 extreme, but maybe on the level of, say, the Cardassians in general, you know, a big you know, state propaganda situation. Everyone is, must be happy. Everyone must follow. The, the, the over, overseer is all, and the overseer is everything, and we live in the vault, and we die in the vault. You know, they could have gone that route with it, but they didn't. Um, they could have gone the route that the rebels were, uh, you know, people who, well, I guess, okay, in fairness, the, the, the rebel movement are people who really weren't thinking in the long term because their big plan was screw over some people and also some people might die, but it's okay because that way we'll be, get to go free, so that's not really cool. No long-term planning, yada, yada. It, they just didn't do anything with it. Again, nothing was done with it. It's, it's an idea, and that's all I got. Final note. Last episode was Dark Frontier, also known as the end of Seven's first big character arc. And a great episode, I might say. Sadly, off the top of my head, that may have been the last really great Seven episode. I'm just saying that off the top of my head. I haven't watched you know the rest of the, I haven't looked at the ne- upcoming episodes uh, for the next two seasons yet. But you know what I remember about Seven from this point on? The coda at the end of this episode. So let me explain what I mean a little bit. From now on, the writers of Star Trek were being pushed by the executives, not the producers. I want to stress that. Uh, Brennan Braga was not in on this. Uh, I don't know if um, if Rick Berman was one of the people. This, but I do know that Paramount, the, the you know again, the studio, was pushing for more Seven in the episodes because Seven was popular in general and Dark Frontier was basically a smash hit. So they wanted more Seven. So Seven starts getting shoehorned into episodes, and they, most of the writers apparently had no idea what to do with her, which is hilarious because there's so many ways you can take her. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of character development, in terms of what they could utilize her as, as, a, as a thematic or setting piece. But no, they, they just shoehorn her, horn her in, and it's always the same thing. Seven learns a lesson. It's usually a lesson about humanity. Sometimes it's a lesson about the human spirit. Sometimes a lesson about individuality, but it's always the same thing. Seven learns a lesson. Even in an episode where she was in like three scenes total, like this episode, at the end, Seven shows up and learns a lesson about humanity. Get used to that. Oh, I lied. I just thought of a good Seven episode in the future. Yes, there is another one. It's in season six. It's like season six, episode two or three. I forget which. So we've got one more good Seven episode. Anyways, that's all I got. I'm sorry. I just, I, formal reprimand. I'll see you guys later. It's crazy.